On this episode, Chris and I have a phenomenal guest, Dan Rogers. Uh, Chris, this was just a great interview. Yeah, and luckily, you know, Dan and I've been going back and forth through email, and we we uh, he had he had me on his on his channel. So if you haven't looked at his channel, Dan Rogers on YouTube, uh, you need to go check it out because his channel is crazy. But yeah, he is full of information, and then he talks about some of his like mistakes that he made. Mm-hmm. Gosh, how. How crazy is that? Like that that's something you don't want to ever experience. Yeah. There, this is a really great interview to listen to. You're going to get a ton of tips. We cover all aspects of selling on Amazon from just actionable tips, strategies that he's employed, uh, and like you mentioned, just mistakes that have, you know, he's made and that we've we've all made. Uh, so it's, it's great and he's just a master. His content on YouTube is off the charts. It's the highest produced. It's the greatest value. It's all free. Uh, so we touch into that too, like why why he's the, why he's able to do that, why he's giving out that free content. Uh, so great interview. Uh, I highly encourage everyone to listen to this one all the way through. It's tons of information. So, all right, let's dive in, Chris. Let's get into the interview. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 43 of Two Amazon Sellers and a Microphone. Today, Chris and I have a great guest. Dan Rogers is with us. He is a Amazon seller, YouTuber, content creator, investor, just just does it all. Dan, we're glad to have you on the show. Thanks for coming. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. We just did a a very cool YouTube video with Chris. He was on uh, my YouTube channel. So any of those of you interested in learning about Solozo, how that's going to help you with PPC specifically, uh, you guys can check that out as well. It was posted two days ago. Uh, But thank you so much for having me on. I'm I'm excited to to jump into this with you. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And and, and we found Dan by just browsing the YouTube channels out there and he's probably the most transparent one out there his content is off the charts uh so it's very nice to have him on because we're going to be able to go through some stuff that he's experienced and things that we probably need to watch out for for amazon sellers so this is going to be really relative good content um so i'm excited to break this down before we get into it dustin i want to let's let's get some uh let's get some background on you dan dan tell us a little bit about like how you got started in this space because you know everybody's got a good story like they Google something or they had to make money online. Like how did, how did you get into this space? And then we'll go from there. Yeah, it's uh, going back. It's, it's funny. I remember someone asked me this question the other day. So it's, it's good timing, but I used to, I would sit in my old workshop with a friend. I remember, and we would discuss these ideas. We would discuss product ideas and some of them were really good. Sometimes it was a service idea but that was really the thing is how can we develop something ourselves, bring it to market and ideation and, and conceptualization of ideas was not really the problem. Um, although maybe some of them would not have worked, of course, but the bigger problem seemed to be, how do you bring that to market? That always appeared to be behind like this hidden door or reserved for big companies is bringing your idea to market. And so Fast forward a year or two, I was really looking at the online space and and making inroads there through various business models, some of which I enjoyed, some of which I really didn't enjoy. I got an, uh, 
as I think all people do, they test something out for months on end, which doesn't end up working. Uh, I had a lot of those. And then I found FBA. And I realized at that point, that's the link. That's how people can bring their ideas to market. You can be anywhere in the world and you can bring your idea to market. And better than that is that here, we can actually look at what's already working. We already can look at what's selling well and how to develop that further. So although it's not complete innovation all the time, because some people are, of course, just slightly differentiating or some people also launch me too products you have the ability to innovate and and bring that to market the the uh, level of innovation you apply is up to you but it is a doorway into having access to the in, in, in <clears throat> excuse me the international market because as you know, you've got the European unified accounts, the North American unified accounts. So you can now actually uh, develop a product. You might even launch it on Kickstarter or Indiegogo if it's like a big innovation and then you know work into Amazon through like Amazon Launchpad or similar. Um, or you just launch direct on Amazon with you know Amazon FBA. Uh, but you now have that access, you have that ability. So that's really how I chose that uh, piece of the online space to focus on. And from there, uh, it's, I remember at that point when I focused, I decided that's what I'm going to do. I actually sold my car at, at that point, I remember. And I funded in part with that money, my first order, which was about $3,000. And I started that first product, which ended up doing well. I actually still sell that product now. Uh, and from that point, I just continued to scale the business. I was also doing other things. So I didn't like stop everything and just do FBA. The reason I also recommend that for others is that it takes time. Your business is going to require reinvestment, reordering. And so you don't want to put too much strain on the business at first by you know, pulling out all the profits, how, how are you going to scale? Remember, you also have to reorder before you sell everything. So you actually need a little extra capital there. You need a bit of a buffer. So to avoid putting too much pressure, I continue doing other things on the side. And that's why I always recommend people start this while they're still making income elsewhere. Um, and then you know, now it's grown to the point I sell on both Europe and North America. And now, you know, one order can cost $33,000. So it's, it's scaled um, to a really a much bigger level in a relatively short amount of time, four years or so. <clears throat> uh, and so, yeah, that's how I kind of got my start, where it came from and, and, and where it's grown to now. And what year was that in? So that would have been like 2015, 16. Okay, the good um, old days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it was. But even then, I remember people were still speaking about how it's it's so competitive, mm -hmm. you know. So I don't think that will ever die. Mm -hmm. uh, but on that quick, I, I, I don't agree with that uh, kind of saturation. Some places are always going to be saturated, some markets. But uh, I was reading the statistic the other day. 
and I don't remember the specific number, but it, it basically produces a number of how many new products are created each year. And it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's in the tens of thousands of new products being created for the first time every year. Mm-hmm. So all of those need to end up on Amazon at some point, mm-hmm. and then they're going to be variated and variations of them. So there's, it's each product's almost like a wave. And you don't want to, you know, it's like surfing. You don't want to catch a wave when it's broken and it's white water. Mm-hmm. You want to catch it as that swells building. Um, and if you do, then you get good placement, get good reviews. And because of that, as you see in a lot of markets now, if you go on Amazon, you those sellers tend to stay at the front. Even with more basic offerings, they stay at the front because of the review counts and, and the solidifying of those rankings. So it's just about finding the right wave, really. Um, it's... You know, I don't want it to sound like a game when I say that. It's it's not a game, but it's just about timing. Timing is quite important with this business model. Uh, but you know, saying Amazon saturated is 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 not, in my opinion, an accurate statement because we've got new products all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like a lot of the things that you touched on there. I, I like your optimism about Amazon. We hear that a lot about it's it's saturated, and of course, you no. Know, we don't believe that. I mean, we feel like it's an amazing opportunity, an opportunity that just didn't exist 15, 20 years ago to be able to, like you said, uh, scale a business quickly to large numbers sort of on your own. Uh, I mean, that would have been impossible without, you know, huge in- investments into warehousing and <laughs> uh, large product orders and pitching pitching your products to big box retailers. And I mean, those things, those things are out the window now at the Amazon business. Uh, and I also like the way that you touched on, uh, be careful about starting to pay yourself too soon. That's a mistake that I made for sure. That slowed me down. Uh, after I'd already, you know, skyrocketed for a while, I slowed myself down by trying to take too much out. Uh, because even as you go, as you, as you grow bigger, um, it's still, it can be, it's fickle. It can, t- a slight drop <laughs> in sales or a competitor coming on can, re- and now you've got, a lot more invested in it uh, can be tricky, um, but now you're you, so you've 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 been a seller for a long time, and now you also have your this the content that you're creating is just amazing. You've got this whole space where you're you're just educating and telling everyone their stories and tips. What what made you want to do that? Um, you know what made you want to do that? And and you're just I'm, I'm telling you, we've watched a lot of your stuff, and it's fantastic. Well, th- thank you, Dustin. I, I appreciate that. Um, and just before I touch on your question, I, I wanted to mention this. You just reminded me is that I began when I was still in South Africa, which is, is where I'm from. You can probably hear my accent. But um, the reason I wanted to mention that is I, I find a lot of people, the people who are going to be most concerned with how can I get my ideas to market? You know, I'm in a a, a kind of more far-flung country, maybe not a first world. I started from there. So I think that's really important. That's also why in my videos, as you just touched on, in a lot of those, I try and approach it from the perspective of anyone, anywhere, not just US-based or UK-based. Um, I, I think that's really important. And I think the kind of onboarding 
for everyone else is going to get better and better because there are some problems with that in in sign up for Amazon. But mm. it is, you know, a global opportunity. To your question on on the content. So initially I started that and I started that way back. Even when I was in South Africa, I started this little YouTube channel. And really what it was going to be is documenting my journey as I worked online, what worked, what didn't work. Um, and then, of course, now it's more focused on Amazon because that's the business model I focused on. But that was originally the point. And, and the reason, one of my goals in it was that I wanted to kind of test myself to, to create a YouTube channel, mm -hmm. uh, which I think a lot of people feel the need to, to just test, you know, like all these people, you know, they're getting listened to on YouTube. What if I can share something there? And that was really the kind of the, the impetus for it. Um, and then I've just continued with it. However, I have to say at first, I mean, there was like two years of like almost no growth. Like, I mean, it was, it was really, it was hard to keep doing it. And if I'm honest, I wasn't that regular with it. Um, but I did not have growth until pretty much the last 15 months, I would say, is where we've really got traction. I mean, in May, it was still at 3000 something subscribers in May. And now we're uh, you know, approaching 13,000 subscribers. So, wow. but included there is that what I've, I've, I've attempted to do and now focus fully on is very high quality content. We take a lot of time to develop it. That's our niche. Often the, the videos are even in 4K, which is honestly just overkill um, <laughs> because it takes six hours to upload to YouTube alone. Um, but the last video we did, the last big production video we did, took uh, almost 100 hours to produce. Wow. Um, and, and it's going out for free. So that's really the niche, is really high quality content, totally free. Um, and it's built an amazing audience because they can tell, I know what I'm talking about. I'm not going and copy pasting this from a blog or from uh, someone, this is from me. like that it's too intricated. Um, there's too many intricacies for it to be, you know, fabricated or like copy pasted. And so what we've ended up with is like this amazing group of people who now are like telling me they watch the ads or they let the ads run uh, so, so that that will support us. So, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's amazing. They're, it's honestly such a cool community. So I'm very appreciative for it. Um, and I, you know, I, I take, it's also a responsibility, you know, people are subscribing and, and spending their time watching there. So I, I try to put as much into those as possible and produce content they want to hear, um, you know, questions they're asking, etc. cetera. Uh, but that's basically how the, the content creation came into being was just testing myself and, and the journey. And then it became more educational um, and dedicated to that. And you can tell, like uh, Amazon sellers, when we, we when we go to YouTube and type in, you know, Amazon FBA, we look for videos to watch, and somebody comes off real salesy and like pitchy, and they they try to get you in type of funnel. It's immediate turnoff, and so you can really tell that in the in the content that 
you're just out there providing good information for people. I mean, back when Dustin and I started, probably when you started too, there wasn't really much out there. You had to like go listen to a few podcasts, watch a few videos, but most of them were all about pitching a course or, or something to join a group or something. So it's nice to have very transparent information out there. You can type it into YouTube um, and, and you can find out what you're looking for. You can get your question answered. So uh, yeah. the content's been great. Thank you. Actually, you, you know, one of my biggest fears is that because it's free, it's less valuable. Uh, and, and so because it's free, you know, how much should I watch it? So sometimes I almost wish I could charge like a dollar, you know, just, just to, just that way it might be seen more, more valuable, but that is something I've learned as well is that, um, although that's kind of the, uh, positioning and, and, and what we're focused on right now, that is something that I notice is that one benefit to more paid products is that because people are exchanging, it tends to be more valuable. Uh, but certainly that's not been the case lately. People have been watching, so um, I'm stoked with it. <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. Um, I want to touch, I want to kind of dig, dig, dig a little deeper here because, um, you know, all three of us are selling on Amazon. We all have all different processes. We all do product research probably differently. Um, if you can break that down on your end, like when you are product researching, you don't have to get into like the nitty gritty, but like when you find a product, how do you go about it? Like you know, negotiations, sourcing, inspections, like what's that all kind of look like? Sure. So the there's a couple things that I've, I've worked out have become very important with research at first. Um, and th the first thing I look for all the time is higher priced products and Anyone who follows me is going to get really sick of hearing that, but it's important because there's certain fixed costs in this business model, which won't move. Uh, things like your FBA fee, things like even your international shipping fee. These things are based on product size, not price. And so if you have a product, uh, let's say headphones, you have one pair of headphones sells for $20, one pair of headphones sells for $80. Uh, both of those are the same size products. So they, they cost the same to internationally ship and they cost the same for FBA, for Amazon to pick and pack and get to the customer. So if you deduct those costs of 20 and then off 80, it's obviously it's hitting that $20 product so much more, so much more strain. So higher price products are generally better in terms of profit but also competition because you've got a lot of people looking at 20, $25 products. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's moving up because this cat's kind of out of the bag, you know, of, of, of the pricing versus profit, but you have far less people competing on like 40, $50 products, far less competition, specifically new sellers there. Um, the second big thing I look for is, development potential and this one's become much more clear to me this year in that even from my my story in the beginning here when you asked about the introduction that's important innovation the development that you provide not selling a me too product you know if you sell the same exact headphones and maybe it's just a different color 
that's not enough now. You have to develop a product further. It has to be very unique. You have to give people a reason to purchase that. And if you can, you want sustainable competitive advantage, something that is hard for competitors to imitate, that's difficult to replicate in the future. And so when I'm doing research, I'm looking for high development potential. So let me give you an example. Uh, kitchen towels would have really bad development potential. Like, you know, how can you make kitchen towels better? They're kitchen towels. Like, it's not, you know, so I don't care what the numbers look like. I'm probably not going to be launching kitchen towels because I can't create sustainable competitive advantage. This is very true of products where they are functional in nature, like kitchen towels. I'm buying it just so it can, you know, clean stuff up in the kitchen. Whereas if we think about gifts, which in my opinion are the highest potential niche on Amazon, gift products, it could be anniversary gifts, it could be gifts for her, gifts for him, those types of things are, are huge, huge potential. And the reason why, go look at those keywords and you're going to see the front page is just all different types of products. It's like, you know, because people want different gifts based on who that gift's for. Maybe this person likes coffee. This person likes um, roses. You know, it, it, it depends. But in those products, you're going to see huge variation. Often you're going to see that seller has sat down and, and literally drawn out the design of that product, brought it to life, and now it's selling really well. And so in that way, it's, it's the... It's the biggest thing I'm looking for is how can I develop this further? Is there something I can fix with the product? Is there a way I can better this product? And I don't want to develop something that's not visual. So another example would be a product that has a bad app. Let's say it works with an app. I don't want to go spend all this time uh, bettering the app because I can't visually express that on the main images. And because our customers buy in a digital space, you need visuals. Yes, maybe once they buy the product and use the app, it would be good, but we need to get them to buy the product first. And so I like visual changes far more. So if we changed like a, a whiskey gift set for men, if we changed that up and it was all made of crystal glass with, you know, a beautiful case with, um, you know, some type of design or great carpentry or, or what, what have you. This is very visual and it's, it's a better gift that this person wants to buy for the other person. And included in the gifting space, I, I'm going to stick on that because when you buy a gift for someone, it is also self-reflective. So I don't want to go cheap, you know, so I'm willing to pay more. And so we also achieve the higher price benefit here as well. So those are the two major things I'm looking for and then lower competition, but more specifically acceptance of low reviews. So um, you might have, you know, 800 reviews, 600 reviews on the front page and they're doing good sales, but then you see someone with 35 reviews doing the same amount of sales. Someone with 20 reviews also doing over 300 sales a month. All I'm looking for 
is ease of entry. Like people not basing it all on reviews. They're also basing it on what the product looks like on the product itself. And as we just touched on with like gifts, high development, that's what they're looking for. They're not just looking for the lowest price or the most reviews. They're looking for the best gift in that case. And, and that's where you can come in. And because you've spent more time making a better product, you get chosen. Mm. Not because of reviews, but because of your product. So those are the three major things I'm looking at. And then a couple like size and weight things um, as well. That's you just convinced me to go look at gifts. <laughs> <laughs> Again, this is why we love having uh, guests on to talk about stuff. Cause we just, um, that honestly is not something that I thought about before where you're, where you're coming at it from the perspective of the searcher, the key, the keyword they're typing in and then seeing a wildly vast array of products, as opposed to someone who types in, like you were talking about kitchen towels and they see 5,000 listings that look identical. Um, that's, that's a fascinating approach uh, because you're right. That gift area hits on all those indicators. I mean, you can differentiate easily because uh, if someone types in anniversary gift for husband, there's going to be all, there's going to be all kinds of things on there. They will not be the same product. So you, you immediately stand out. Uh, plus I'd imagine that helps out on your PPC because people won't click it if it's not what they want. Instead of like where they, if you have PPC running for kitchen towels, they're going to click yours every single time just to check it out. And there could be, that could make a big difference. That's that is, in those competition for those keywords. I'm sure they're like seasonal, you know, they may not run them all year round. So you can pick up that cost per click can be super low during the whole year. And then, you know, when Christmas comes around, I'm sure they go up, but you know, that that's another area. You, your competition for those search terms is probably going to be fairly low all year round. So man, yeah. great. Feedback. That's good stuff. And that, also, uh, go ahead, Dan. Also, the um, the the other benefit that you guys will appreciate is is that the you have multiple keywords, so or you have more keywords than usual because you got to, your base product keywords, but then you got all the gift keywords. So Mother's Day gift, Father's Day gift, uh, anniversary gift, Christmas gift. So you got all those gifting keywords as well giving you flex over ppc kind of decreasing risk on visibility because you've got these multiple areas to rank in uh and then the other thing with the with the gifts that i wanted to mention to you oh yes is that you know q4 now like q4 <laughs> there are some sellers who just their business only q4 the whole year they only get ready they sell Q4, they have income the whole year. That's how big Q4 is. Q4 is massive. As you guys know, the sales, you got to have a lot of stock. So, you know, you might sell triple, sometimes quadruple what you sell in the year. In Q4, you, you could sell triple as much. But with the gifting products, you've got these little spikes all year. So you got, you know, if, if your gift is suited, but as I said, you're going to have Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas. You have all of those little days. Um, it could be graduation gifts. It could be anniversary. So you're having these little spikes, which also help a lot. Birthdays. Birthdays are all year. So you're getting these spikes all the time, uh, which can be quite significant uh, um, 
as opposed to even quite a strong constant demand uh, product. And your return rate is probably super low. No one's returning anything back. I mean, you, you, someone's buying a gift. Your return rate's low. So <laughs> this is huge. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me on this one. This is 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 one of the biggest ones with the gifts. Is uh, is that the buyer doesn't use the product? So think about it this way: your only goal is to provide a product which allows the gifter to provide a gift to the giftee to the person receiving the gift and have the giftee, the person getting the gift, have them be happy. Now, regardless of the person who receives the gift, regardless of that recipient's actual inner feelings, they're not going to want to come across unappreciative. They're going to be stoked. So you've helped the gifter do their job. And that's the end of the, of the buyer having the product at all. <laughs> so you get a great review. And you have to remember that that gifting experience is much more memorable than you receiving the gift for you. You know, I get things from Amazon all the time. It's like, okay, but if I gift someone a product I got from Amazon, I remember that more. So when the seller asked me for a review, that's more memorable. I'm more likely to take action and I'm going to positively take action in most instances because the person was happy with the gift I gave them. And then the person who has the gift is actually using it even if, the, even if the product doesn't perform or malfunctions or what have you, they're kind of unlikely to tell the person who gave them the gift, the buyer, mm -hmm. because, again, it's going to come off as kind of unappreciative. Mm -hmm. So generally, that good review is never going to change. And the buyer, the person who left the review, they're not using the product. So they're very unlikely to go change that good review. Uh, so it also has a kind of review benefit. But that's not to say you must have a bad product at all. It's it's just a kind of review advantage. I wanted to point out with those as well. That is so interesting. I, I'm actually in the middle of some product research right now, and I'm after talking to you, I think I might pivot a tad here and uh, and and really research that section. I mean, it the, what, all the points you bring up are, are really valid, and it's interesting because this. You know what everyone talks about in product research trying to hit certain metrics you know you have you know how many competitors you have how many reviews they have what's the search volume on the keywords all these things you're trying to pigeonhole yourself into this perfect product and it seems like this category gifts is like i mean it's open season on it. i mean it's, you could just there's so many opportunities there uh and it allows you to be innovative too in a different way uh you you know you don't you don't have to develop necessarily you don't have to invent something new. You just have to make a gift that's not prettier, funnier, whatever for for that particular occasion. Uh, that's fascinating. Well, let's let's uh, change topics here just a little bit because I know we we there's there's so many things about the success on Amazon and and the you know how quickly you can scale, but there's a lot of issues that come up too that I think don't get talked about a lot. Uh, I mean, Chris and I we talk about this all the time. We've had you know, a lot of different challenges, issues in, in our business. And I know, Dan, you've got uh, a story for, for us about an issue that you faced, but it's not all roses <laughs> in this business. And you have to be ready to take on challenges. And, and some of them can be a little intimidating uh, or be scared. I mean, I've been hit with trademark issues, patent issues, uh, other things that 
that are intimidating. So just tell us a little bit about, uh, I know you have a story for us, some, some challenges that you can face or that you face. Yeah, sure. I, I do think this is important. Actually, one of the big topics I do on my channel is mistakes, things that have gone wrong. And those videos tend to do really well. Um, and I think it's important people just be aware of this because everything we've spoken about to this point is really great, but it can all kind of be, be ripped away, even if temporarily it can be for, you know, in, in a day, if you don't do things accurately or um, you don't check certain things. So what I want to talk about now is one of the listings I had, and this is a product doing very, very well. And I placed a 3000 unit order and that was normal at this point. And I then usually would sell some of that reorder and then I would place a reorder for 3000, a couple, you know, weeks or maybe, um, maybe even like six, eight weeks later, once I've got that inventory moving a bit. And so I kind of balance risk in this way by not having too much inventory at one point or at least getting the current order moving significantly before placing the reorder. And so at this point though, the product was doing so well, Q4 was coming up. I was like, okay, about two weeks after placing a 3000 unit order, I was like, let's just place the reorder for another 3000. Um, and I did have some pressure from my supplier, which you know you should always just be wary of make a decision for you, not based on your supplier trying to pull more orders. And so now I've ordered 6,000, but I've kind of broken my rule in that I haven't, you know, I haven't waited long enough to balance the risk in case things go wrong, because if something goes wrong, I can then, okay, let's not reorder until we fix this issue. But I went ahead anyway. And about three weeks later, I got an infringement claim. Well, actually, what happened was the listing just disappeared. <clears throat> so when, when I would go to the listing, I met every single one of the dogs of Amazon. I have a list of, I actually wonder how many of them there are. The one day I was trying to, to count how many dogs of Amazon are there. But at this point, the listing's gone. Amazon won't tell me what's wrong. They won't tell me what's happened. And I basically went back and forth with Amazon for six weeks until finally they told me it's a copyright infringement. Um, and then eventually provided me the details of the person laying that complaint. And so, you know, that was a really trying six weeks because at least just tell me what's wrong so we can, you know, work on it. But um, it was a problem with a mark on the product, not the brand name this time, but a, a, a certain emblem on the product uh, that another company claimed was theirs and that I was kind of using it to make sales, which was absolutely never uh, my intention. In fact, I never really even thought of it at all. Mm -hmm. uh, this little emblem, and this is where I want sellers to learn from this, this little emblem was something on the base product from the supplier. So when you go order from a supplier on Alibaba or what have you, they have this base product, the normal thing. 
and then you go ahead and change it, adapt it, make it your own. Be very careful of what's on that base product because they have no obligation to go and check your sales country, like where you're actually going to be selling this for infringement. They don't, it's not their obligations. That's for you to do. So even my supplier here, very established in this industry. And yet this mark is extremely prominent across a lot of their base products. And it's in, in direct conflict with a massive US company. So mm. uh, just something to note. But at this point, I, I needed to obviously change things. So I went ahead and redesigned the, this mark um, into my own format. And then I adapted digitally on the listing on Amazon. I adapted all the images so there was no more infringement present there. And then I began um, basically legal negotiations with this other company as to whether they would allow me to sell out current inventory. And then I would immediately change this emblem because I've had this problem before where they accepted that proposal. Um, and that time it had to do with the brand name, another big US company. But that time they were very reasonable and they allowed me to sell out current inventory. And then I could adapt this mark on future orders. In this case, they said no. So they would not allow that. Um, and furthermore, they would not revoke the claim. Although I had now had to remove all the inventory from Amazon. So physically, it's not for sale with that emblem. And also the digital listing does not have that emblem anymore. It's completely gone. Still, they will not revoke the claim. And what that means is you will not get the listing back. So we lost um, a huge listing, hundreds and hundreds of reviews. Uh, which was the most painful, I would say, out of the whole thing. I'm willing to get down, do the work, change the, you know, I'm willing to do that, send stuff all around the world. But losing years of work in, in like just the blink of an eye because of a, a little emblem, which might be similar to your mark, uh, was very difficult. So uh, at that point, you kind of just have to get over it. These are huge companies. So you can take them, you know, you can, you can take it higher on the legal ladder, but they're going to drain you. So you, you, you've got to almost accept it. At this point, this is how it works. It's not always, you know, uh, going to feel fair, but you have to accept it at this point. Um, you know, what, how Amazon operates on this is it's, they will, um, cut the head of the snake off. That's what they do instantly. So they are at no, um, they, they are not liable because if the, if they continue to allow your list to be present with a conflicting mark, it's kind of their liability. So the very first thing they do is they, they cut that off and now it's for you to deal with that plaintiff with the person who laid the claim and you've got to discuss it with them or get them to revoke it or you can go up the legal ladder. Um, I do hope it changes in the future where it's more um, innocent until proven guilty rather than, you know, the other way around. But right now, this is how it operates. And so 
um, I removed all the inventory and I had two lawyers working with the lawyers of this company, but we never got a good resolution in this case. And I don't think it's that common. Um, this is quite an aggressive um, uh, litigating type company, but that's what I would recommend. If this ever happens to you, change the emblem or brand name, completely change the digital listing immediately, uh, get lawyers on it. Um, that's what I would say is very important so that they can produce a proper letter of appeal for you. Uh, that's going to get you the best result. Very often they're going to be uh, reasonable. Sometimes you're going to have a harder one like this. Then at that point, you can establish the outcome. Are they going to revoke it or not? If they will revoke it, that's awesome because you can just sell the current inventory and then change the emblem and really nothing really changes too much. If they do not revoke it, you must remove the inventory and now you've got a couple options. You can uh, send it back to your supplier to adapt that emblem or you can try find a US-based company who can try and adapt that emblem for you. What I will say is it's very, very difficult to find a US company that can adapt screen printed logos on, you know, mm -hmm. fabrics or metals, or it's, it, it can be quite difficult to find that specific thing. So you might have to send it back. Um, for orders that are still in China, if this ever happens, I discussed this with my manufacturer saying, look, this has happened. You know, I'm not going to blame you, but also like, I mean, this is, you know, a huge problem on your base product that you've sold me to sell in this market. Um, you know, but in the essence of, of long-term business, would you mind making this change for free? Because, you know, this obviously is a big hit to the business. Uh, we've lost listing. We've um, paid huge lawyer fees and it's going to take us time to build up sales again. And they agreed to that. So we managed to change 3,000 of them for free. Uh, and then your next big thing is to relist the product. And there's a couple options here I want to run through really quick. But you can create uh, a brand new listing, you know, with a new GTIN code, start from scratch. Another one is you can use... And, and just be careful on this. I'm, I'm not recommending this one, but you can use an older listing that you no longer use, but maybe has a couple reviews. And I would suggest only doing that if it's related, like a similar product or uh, something like that. Um, but you can kind of repurpose that listing for the new product. Again, I wouldn't do that if it has too many reviews because the net result's going to look really strange. You can have all these reviews for like a different product than the one you're selling. Um, but it is a good way to save on like GS1 UPC codes, which are very expensive. You can just repurpose a listing. Uh, and then there is another method, but it doesn't always work. And that is you create a new listing and you add back your uh, suppressed listing, the one that's got messed up in all of this, you add that back to the new listing as a variation. 
And the trick here is to try and get it to pull in the reviews from that old listing, even though that old listing is not going to be live. It's kind of going to be like a dead variation on this listing, but allow you to keep the reviews on this new listing. Um, that does not always work, though. In my case, this time, it did not work. Mm -hmm. um, I think because they've kind of completely shut off that that listing. Uh, so, but it is something worth noting that you know if you can save your reviews, you basically didn't lose anything. Uh, but that's the big thing you run the risk of losing here. Um, and then the last option is you can create multiple marketplace new listings. You can have lower reviews and lower sales, but if you can relist in the US and then use global selling to also sell in Canada, that would be really good. If you have Europe and US, perhaps do both. But having a couple listings is overall going to build up that sales number. A, a little bit of sales in each could help you kind of get that ball uh, rolling again. Um, and then, of course, you send your inventory, your changed inventory back into the warehouses uh, and begin selling again with a good uh, launching strategy. Uh, but that's basically what happened, and and hopefully people pick up a couple strategies from that. Of course, the biggest thing is just avoid this in the first place. Uh, check your brand name. Get an IP attorney to check this for you. Scan that product. Even emblems and logos you think are fine, if it doesn't detract value, just remove them from the product or adapt them to make them your own. But that's quite important because... You could sell, you could literally sell for a year and nothing will happen. When the big companies come is when you're at the top of page one and killing it. That's when they come. That's when they see you and that's when they come, um, uh, you know, bring this type of stuff. So you want to fix those problems before getting there. Uh, but yeah, that's exactly, yeah, that's how that, that went down. Well, that's a great cautionary tale um, to be aware of. I had a very, not similar, but a similar issue with my tr uh, trademark on my brand name. Um, and this, I think this dovetails into what you talked about earlier about why it's so important to, you, you really need to diversify, have a lot of products. You don't want to quit your job or what your main income source is because these things can pop out like you're talking about. I mean, mine happened because I had a pro I launched my product back in 2013. It became my it's my best selling product was my best selling product at the time too, selling like 300 units a day of this one particular product. And then I and then I wanted to get a plus content. So I decided to register it as a trademark, which I hadn't for the three years has been running. The second I registered a huge company came after me saying that I was infringing on their trademark. It wasn't really that close, but uh, and it shut me down. And I had six months previously uh, decided to go all in on Amazon and quit my job. That was some sleepless nights <laughs> uh, watching your best-selling product go uh, get suspended during after you've just gone all in on it. So that's a great uh, cautionary tale about that. I think it's just good for people. Uh, real quick, I know I know we have just a little bit of time left. Um, a couple of things. One. Uh, where do you see this the Amazon world going in the future? And two, 
just tell everyone how they can find you or where, where, where are you? Where is all this great content you're putting out? Let them know where they can go find you. Yeah. Thank you, Dustin. I think the, uh, one of the, the cool things people can do is they can actually check out, uh, the videos I have on my YouTube channel. That's where you can find me. It's just Dan Rogers, Rogers with a D R O D G E R S. Uh, but on there you can find videos on, I show you exactly how to choose a brand name that's fanciful, uh, which basically means kind of made up rather than like trying to, you know, be similar to anything else, go fanciful, make it strange. You know, at this point, no one cares about your brand name so much. I'm not saying have a really bad brand name, but, but they don't care that much rather protect yourself. You can see from a Dustin story, my own story here, which, which one's worse, you know, having this fanciful made up name or losing like your best ASIN for a couple months is, you know, so, um, check out those videos for sure. But that's the main place people can find me just on the YouTube channel. And then I'm, I'm going to be kind of branching out from there. We got some cool things on the way, uh, but I'd love to see, see some new sellers there. And then with, in terms of the Amazon space, where that's going. So I think it's only going to get bigger. I mean, that's for sure. We've seen with this uh, current situation, we've seen, I don't, I don't want you to get uh, suppressed. I don't know how it works now. I think it can even suppress you if you say it, but uh, the, we've seen with this, that the major companies have taken even more market share. And it's really crushed the smaller companies, which is very unfortunate, but that's what we've seen happening here. And so I think Amazon, I mean, I know people, they never bought on Amazon. They were like, I don't understand online shopping, you know, especially older generations, you know, I don't need it. I, it's too much hassle. Now they're experts. They're better at it than me. So we have this huge uh, kind of the laggard stage. You know, everything has like introductory and maturity and, and growth and laggards join at the end. That's kind of just been pushed straight in. You mm -hmm. know, we now have a lot of people buying. More people buying means more demand, which means we need higher supply, which means there's more opportunities for sellers. So I think the space is, is just growing um, at, a, at a rapid pace. I think it's always going to have opportunity I think the biggest crutch in all of it right now is the 200 unit limit. That is really a hard thing to navigate because you've got to bolt on quite an expensive third party logistics warehouse situation over here to get around that um, or wait. And I think we've got people doing both. And I don't know if that's going to subside. I think that might be the new norm is the 200 limit. So you've got to now prove to Amazon that your product's worth having in the warehouse. So that might be something we're going to have to see after Q4 in January. We're going to have to see, is that still a thing? But it might be. Um, and that's kind of good for some sellers because it's going to thin out competition. You know, not everyone wants to deal with that. So overall, I think it's going to grow. I think it's it's going to be 
there's going to just be more and more opportunity in this space. Everyone's buying online. Uh, what I would personally like to see different though from Amazon is, is more a view of sellers as business partners. You know, when it's going well, we both are making profit. We both, you know, when it goes real bad, it's kind of, you know, um, you can hardly get an answer sometimes. Also, I think the chat service, the help areas on Amazon used to be a hundred times better. You could actually speak to a person who wouldn't just link farm you and send you a bunch of links on what to do in the help articles. I can go to the help articles. I came here to speak to you. I can go search there. So, and you know, and they completely removed the chat feature on a lot of accounts now. You might have seen that. Mm -hmm. So, um, just my personal gripe would say seller support and and just helping your good sellers, the people who who you know are, are making a significant amount of Amazon's revenue overall now, um, is just supporting them more. That's what I would love to see, and it would just make the ecosystem so much better. But how it kind of feels, and I don't know how you guys feel about it, but it kind of feels like that part of their system has been um, has been reduced to save cost. That's how it kind of feels. Um, and and uh, I spoke to a guy the other day who used to work pretty high up in Amazon. And he used to do, and now what he does is he specifically focuses on ASIN reinstatement, account re that's what he does. And he used to work in these systems. And he said this to me. He said, I was, com I was saying I couldn't get an answer from seller support. And he said to me, yes, I wouldn't recommend you contact su support for anything ever. Wow. And, you know, he used to work in these systems. And so that, I think, says a lot. You know, it's it's that's the big place I think would just make the whole venture so much better, um, and uh, make it a lot easier for sellers. But that said, as you guys have, as I have, you can work around it, but mm -hmm. don't ex don't expect like everything to be you know laid out for you when a problem arises. You're probably going to have to do some digging, and and uh, mm -hmm. uh, support's not the best. But overall on Amazon, I think it's going to just keep growing. I mean, we've seen even with the stock prices going through the roof, I think mm -hmm. the products, number of products is going to increase drastically. Uh, so I saw manufacturing currently in the world's going up a lot. So I think overall, it's just going to be more and more. You've also got a lot of people working at home now. So going to be more kind of used to our business model. Mm -hmm. uh, and so... I, th I think overall it's going to be a, a good thing for the space. Although we've got some some problems currently with like inventory limits and, and not the mm -hmm. best support. Overall, it's a huge opportunity. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think uh, I think we agree with the uh, the optimism for sure of the Amazon space. And yes, there's challenges getting in touch with uh, anybody at sport or anybody quality at sport is difficult. Uh, but that's why the stuff that you're doing is amazing. The content you're putting out, I mean, that helps. I mean, people can, there's resources out there, whether you're listening to our podcast, going to looking at Dan's YouTube channel that are out there that can help. 
Um, Dan, this has been fantastic. The we're going to have to have you on again because there's about like nine thousand topics we didn't touch on. <laughs> but, but going over this has been amazing. Everyone that's out there listening, go to YouTube, type in Dan Rogers, R O D G E R S. His videos are the best out there. They're, the quality is amazing. The content's amazing. You can tell he cares. You can tell he's passionate about what it is. It's a great resource. Um, so please check him out. Dan, it's been amazing. Thanks for coming on, and we'll have to get you back on here. Thank you so much, Dustin. I, I, I appreciate it. And and Chris, thank you as well. Um, yeah, enjoyed this. It was, it was actually fun to discuss it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is the first one I've done like this. But I also think it's important just to discuss. So I, I like your your show because even like seller support, like we just dis I just complained about, is like I think it's important for those things because otherwise you're sitting there thinking it's just me. Mm -hmm. This is just difficult for me, but it's not. It's these are you know there's other people. There is a person right now meeting the dogs of Amazon, <laughs> and. I think it's important that people know that, that there's a place we can pull together. So I'm very glad to discuss this and, and be on with you guys today. Uh, and yeah, I look, I look forward to joining you in the future. Excellent. That's very good. We'll have you back on for sure. Thanks, awesome, man. Guys. All right. Have a All good right. one. Everybody. Bye. See ya.